0: From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. To you on this beautiful day the Lord has made, appreciate you all
1: being with us on the Bishop's Hour. as We move on in our 24th year on the air and appreciate everyone who helped us get here, especially you, the listeners, and some of our great guests, uh, including. Kathleen Domingo, who joins us now. Kathleen is the executive director of the California Catholic Conference, which represents all the bishops up and down the great Golden State, Uh, uh, represents them to the California legislature. Kathleen, good day to you. Hi, Bob.
2: How are
1: you doing today? Doing fine. I had the great pleasure of hearing you speak as the keynote speaker at the Bishop Gago's maternity home dinner on September the 10th. Uh, You brought down the house, as they say. And I was I, I thought the some of the things that you spoke about that evening would be wonderful for our listeners to hear as well. You, you talked about, about a variety of subjects, uh, including uh, some of the initiatives you took uh, during your time in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Right. well thank you so
2: much. Yeah, you know it was such a pleasure um, to be with all of those folks celebrating the Gallego's Maturity Home, and just the wonderful work of those women that work there, Um, and just really the courage, I think, of the women that they serve, honestly, because it really is such a courageous thing to to make that choice for life, and even if it's really hard, and even if you have so many odds against you, as a lot of those women do. Um, So it was just a pleasure to be there. Um, And so, yeah, I I, um, had the opportunity to offer some words, and I wanted to just share sort of my perspective. I've <laughs> I've been in this business for a while, Bob, up <laughs> and <I've been> down <laughs> the state, you know. And um, one of the things that I noticed, so when I was in L.A., you know, I was part of the L.A. Mayor's Commission on Homelessness, and I was part of the L.A. County Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force, and the the um, Department of, of Children and Family Services um, Foster Care Task Force, and mm-hmm. you know all these different things, and um, and it really all of that work. Um, just reinforced for me a really important truth that I think is we sometimes forget, which is that in this world today, so many people are hurting, and so many people are um, sort of struggle, struggling. They're unmoored from any real sense of self, and and what's happened is that they have been either so mistreated in their lives or they've just not had anybody there to comfort them and to love them that they lose a sense of they lose a sense of their own humanity, of their own creativeness and giftedness. Yeah, um, maybe they've yeah. never had it. Maybe nobody's ever told them. And so I kept seeing, in all of this work that I did, I kept seeing these people who um, really just didn't have an, any understanding of their own human dignity. Over and over, that's what struck me was that they got to a certain point where they just didn't believe that they deserved better, or that they deserved love, or that they deserved anything better in life. It, it was just that they were so beaten down. And, you know, I started to realize that um, I think that was one of the things that the Catholic community can really do for the world is to help people have that understanding, renew that understanding. And first we have to do it in ourselves, right? We have to really truly in our guts know God made us, each of us, individually for a reason, for a purpose, and then share that with others. And that's that's kind of been my, um, you know, my epiphany, if you will, over the years of doing all this work and just really seeing there's there's a thread running through all of these people that we were helping, and that thread is that they just need to have a sense of their own human dignity.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that, that's a great observation, and it's very true, and most of us don't think of it very often. It's almost like a sociological Stockholm Syndrome or something, where they've been so beaten down, they really don't have any self-worth in their own mind.
2: I think that's absolutely right, yes. And, um, you know, I, I had a while ago um, the opportunity to go with a group of bishops from California um, to visit the guys in San Quentin. Right. And um, it was just such an interesting experience because there there was this group of men that we were talking to, and they were really explaining um, what the rehabilitative services at San Quentin had helped them to discover or rediscover about themselves. And that was really what they were saying. They didn't necessarily name it in the same way. But they were saying, you know, before they had been, a lot of them had been involved in gangs or, you know, crime growing up or they'd been abused or, or harmed growing up. And, um, and then they got into whatever kind of facility it was, whether it was a, or a juvenile facility or, or prison or whatever, and they just talked about how that, that cycle perpetuated. But it was always about um, trying to be better than the other person, trying to, you know, get the other person before they got you and, and just this cycle of real dehumanization. And then all of a sudden, they got to a place, San Quentin, where someone saw something in them and said, would you like to be part of this special program? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, their whole life changed because they realized, oh, my goodness, there is something important in me. There is something worthy in me. There is a reason for me to be here. And someone is helping me um, re-understand that and reconnect with that sense of self-worth. And it's just so beautiful when you hear people tell that story um, of having... You know, been in a certain place, and then someone helped them recognize their dignity and, and their life's worth.
1: So, who, so you didn't visit just Death Row at, at San Quentin?
2: No, in fact, I was not allowed to visit Death Row, just uh-huh. the bishops were. <laughs> right. But I did get to sit and talk with a number of um, the men there um, in their chapel, actually, and uh-huh. we had a really good conversation, and they shared a lot with us about their lives um, and also um, their experience particularly there with those rehabilitative
1: programs so who started these programs who um, brainchild was it I guess and who convinced whether it's the legislature or the Department of Corrections or whoever that this was was worthy
2: so I don't know exactly the answer to that but I will say that this is one of the positive developments in California that we are really supporting is this move towards a more rehabilitative approach, Mm -hmm. Um, I know Governor Newsom is actually really espousing that, and that's wonderful. And then also in the course of our conversations at San Quentin, um, we were told of all the wonderful programs that their chaplains have brought to them over Mm -hmm. the years, um, including one chaplain um, who is Bishop Barber's brother, who's also of San Quentin. And he was chaplain there for some time, and Bishop Barber was with us, and so we had a really great opportunity to talk about some of those programs that he had participated in in the past also. Um, So it really is, you know, it can be a legislative fix, it can be a policy push, um, but it also can be within the system as it currently is. Those chaplains who really have a heart for um, this service can recruit lay people who can be trained to do these things. And just, um, again, a lot of it is just one-on-one. It's just accompaniment. It's just people with a heart for this work to go in and say, you know what we'd like to do? We'd like to have a, a Bible study. We'd like to read books together. We'd like to have novenas, and we'd like to have you know wonderful things like that. They did um, they did catechism classes with the with the men. They did um, you know they, they they prepared them for sacraments, and um, they even they even would come in and do almost like a parish mission or a retreat there right. in in the chapel, which I think is just lovely because you know those are the kind of extra things that so often even our own parishes don't have time for, and yet to to realize that these folks were willing to go through all the trouble, because it's kind of a trouble (laughs) to get into San Quentin. It's not just an easy process. Just because they recognize these men need this, and they're worthy of this, and they deserve this, and, and, you know, if we can provide it, we really ought to. And I think that's really a special thing.
1: So explain that the chaplaincy. there, There are actually people that are employed by the state of California, correct? And then there are others that are not. Is that correct? That's absolutely
2: correct, yes. So the chaplains are employees of the state. And then they recruit lay people who have to go through a rather extensive process to be, be able to go into some of these um, higher-level facilities. So it's not for the faint of heart, and it's not for people who are just thinking, well, I might try this once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, still, for the people, and especially people that we met there that day when we were visiting with the bishop, who have done this and who are regular visitors and they're, you know, they have a particular um, certification to be able to go in on a regular basis, um, you can tell that that process is so meaningful for them also um, that they probably get almost more out of it themselves than what they put into it because um, of the way that they spoke about just seeing the transformation of some of the men they've been working with and then how that has impacted their own lives. It really is wonderful.
1: So the are, are all the state chaplains, are they clergy as well for the most part?
2: Um, they're not necessarily Catholic clergy, um, right. and there can be other people as well. So I think there can be sisters, and there can be other people who kind of qualify as chaplains. And then, of course, there are um, chaplains for a variety of different faiths. Right. So um, so we do share all of those, and it's a real privilege to have a priest in particular in that situation because, of course, then he can do sacraments. Um, and if there isn't a priest chaplain at a particular facility, I know that— um, generally, a local parish or somewhere else will have a priest who is able to go in and um, do sacraments because that's that's so critical there. Because of course, the men can't get out, get <laughs> leave, or or any facility, with men or women. So, um, it really is you know an important part of what dioceses and parishes do is to serve those folks who are um, incarcerated because they are members of the, the local parish and they are members of the diocese.
1: Mm-hmm. So, with with the incarcerated, I mean, there have been all kinds of Supreme Court cases and other cases about what they can and can, can't receive. W- what is the state of, of someone, say, a, a Catholic uh, inmate uh, at San Quentin? I mean, how often can he go to Mass? Can he go to confession, uh, have Bible study? Or uh, How often is that available? That's a great question. I
2: think it varies in facility by facility. I know in San Quentin, um, the chapel was very accessible, at least to the men that we were talking with. Uh-huh. So, there are certain men, obviously, who are in a different part of the facility, but the men that we were talking to said that they have um, a great deal of access to the chapel. In fact, many were talking about that they go into the chapel throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they can have um, offer a, um, a holy hour and things like that. Um, so. Chapels are generally not just Catholics. They're generally used by people of other faiths as well. So right. you do need to make sure, um, you know, that, that there's um, equitable um, resources for everyone and of every faith in the prison. That's the law. Um, and also just kindness. <laughs> but um, it is true that um, these men in particular at San Quentin were, were very pleased. And, in fact, one thing that was so lovely um, was that um, – they recognized Archbishop Cordelione because he oh, wow. goes with such frequency that he walked in the door. He was like a rock star there. <laughs> he walked in the door, and the, the men came over. They were so excited to see him, and they greeted him by name. Um, and, you know, it was just lovely to see that he is such a frequent visitor there um, that, that they, they all knew who he was. And I thought that was really telling, um, you know, something that's not not pronounced, and you know, he doesn't get a lot of press around that, and that's not why he's doing it. He just very quietly goes and he celebrates, I think, um, holidays and things like that
1: there, and, and that makes a significant difference in the lives of those men. Wow, that's that's powerful. I know it was so many of our bishops. I know Bishop Soto was very, very big on prison ministry and visiting the prisons himself. and I, I remember when uh, uh, auxiliary Bishop uh, Garcia, who became the bishop in Monterey, uh, before he died, it was also mm-hmm. very big on prison ministry, and Bishop Quinn used to go down to San Quentin the night before an execution, and you know, be there.
2: Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I think so. I know all of our bishops are very interested in that, and and that is a real um, key piece of their ministry, and they're just understanding, you know, again, of how we as the church can reach out to those on the margins, um, and so. Um, again you know part of what I did in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles also was in my office um, I had a deacon who headed up a ministry to families of the incarcerated and mm-hmm. he um, he works with the families that were left behind and you know often we don't think about that um, that so often you know, the person who is incarcerated maybe was the breadwinner or maybe was the only driver in the family or maybe was you know had a role in, in his his or her family life um, that was really difficult to um, to replace, especially on short notice. A lot of these, you know, it, it could happen quickly and things like that. And so um, sometimes those families are really left wondering what to do. And, and um, especially in L.A., a lot of the folks that we worked with were people who, for whom um, English was not their first language um, and, and just had, you know, a lot of issues to begin with that, that could use some help and somebody to reach out. And so it was wonderful to have that ministry in our office and to really see what, um, what effect you can have on an entire community when you bring people together and, and help those folks kind of serve each other and be recognized in a parish. There's a lot of shame that goes along with being mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. someone who has a family member who's incarcerated, and so even to just um, tell those people we see you and we're with you in this moment, you know, let's let's sit together in this understanding and, and let's talk about, you know, God's mercy and how that can be um, effective in your lives. And so it, it's really, it, it is really, really wonderful work.
1: Yes, indeed, and I didn't mean to leave Bishop Wiegand out of the death penalty talk either. He was also a, a, a stalwart against that. Um, yeah, the, the didn't Get on the Bus originate in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles?
2: Yes, it did, and we um, worked a lot with them over the years down there. It's a wonderful program that um, provides uh, resources for children whose parents are incarcerated or parent um, to be able to go and visit. Um, especially because um, people are not, and again, people don't necessarily understand this, but um, when you're incarcerated, there there isn't always a decision to have you placed somewhere near your home. And so it could be very far. And what we really want is to allow um, people who are incarcerated, first of all, to be treated like human beings. (laughs) That's most important. But also we're really hoping and praying that they will be released. And that, you know, we don't want them to go back. We want them to have a a, a smooth transition back into their lives. And so continuing to foster those family relationships are a key part of helping people through that time that they're Mm -hmm. incarcerated, um, giving them hope for the future, but then also ensuring that there can be a smooth transition when they return to their homes, that they're not returning to people who are strangers to them, that they've, you know, kept up these relationships. And so, yeah, the program Get on the Bus is so important for that and we just
1: we absolutely loved working with them. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's it's double barreled. I mean, you've got you've got it's good for the inmate who's uh, it's good for the family members. It's good for us uh, because these people hopefully are going to be walking among us one day. Uh, it's much better if they are reintegrated with their families, et cetera. I know uh, one of my daughters who was a student at UC Santa Cruz uh, was in a. a a class that uh, sort of a volunteer class after hours class that they would go down to Soledad, uh, once a week. And she, I mean, she came home over Christmas or Easter and she just said, those, dad, those people are just like you and me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and, and she's getting involved in and now she's transferred to UC Davis and she's getting involved in, uh, get on the bus, uh, Wonderful. Because, because it does come through Sacramento and, and it'd, it'd just be great if more people knew about those programs because they they are just so, so wonderful. And, you know, I, I guess that's a, a question I have for you. you. You know the legislature so well. And is there an attempt to place people in prisons that are near family or not?
2: There is. We've been trying to do that. We've been supportive of legislation about that in the past. And it's it really does come down to sort of what's available. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a, a change right now in California to kind of, um, you know, we've been um, um, lessening the number of people who are incarcerated in California, right. and, there you know, there are arguments on both sides of that for sure, um, but there's a, there's a lot that's changing inside um, the, the system in California for incarceration, and um, I think one of the changes is that there's a real understanding of how we can um, treat people a little bit better. So for example, this year, um, we worked on a bill um, that will help um, family members who have babies and toddlers. So again, you don't really think about these things, but when you go for a visit to visit um, a loved one, a family member who's incarcerated, if you um, have a, an infant or a toddler, um, it's they, you, Right now, the law says you can't bring a lot of things with you. So you can't bring toys for that. baby right. You can't bring a bottle for a formula, for example. You can't bring things like that. It just doesn't make sense. So, you know, we were pushing for um, a, a law that would allow family members to go through a process so that they can be vetted. Um, and so, that you know, to make sure everything's safe. But, but if you're bringing a baby, babies need things. <laughs> and <laughs> if we need a toddler, they need things so that you don't just stay for 10 minutes. If you're going to try to stay for an hour or two, I mean, my goodness, you have to have something for that kid to do. <laughs> yep. So some of these very common sense um, types of, um, you know, rulings were saying, let's let's think about it that way, right? So um, there, are, there are larger things happening within the prison system, but there are also these smaller things that are really just, again, Speaking to common sense, but also to the humanity of people. Let's treat people um, as as they're humans, right? Um, let's not um, put pregnant women in solitary confinement. Let's, you know, let let women who have babies in prison um, actually get to hold their baby before they, it, the baby's taken away from them, right? Things like that that just make a lot of sense.
1: So what? Well, that brings up a whole another question. What? <laughs> What about someone who gives birth in prison who has a uh, you know a, a t- you know twenty years to life sentence or something uh, you know a significant long sentence how does how does that work? they take the baby away
2: they do for sure yes even if you are going to get out of prison relatively soon they you're not allowed to keep your baby there um, that's actually you know another bit of legislation we were working on is. Um, could we, could we talk about making some changes to that process, um, especially if it's a woman who, you know, is, is going to get out sooner, right, mm-hmm. Again, for that family re- reunification? Um, so the children will most often go into the child welfare system or, you know, hopefully there's um, someone in the family um, who can help with that child. And then it really, a lot of it just depends on case by case. Um, whether parental rights are terminated or whether they continue and, and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So that really is a case-by-case. Case. Um, but, again, it does make a lot of sense um, to suggest that we honor mothers and we give them a chance to bond with their babies as much as possible, even though they're in prison. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people support that. There's um, It's okay to say that, you know, um, we can um, – People have to have to serve some time if they commit a crime, but it's also very inhumane, I think, to separate moms and infants um, if it's not necessary to do so. If there is a safe way that that can be done, in a reasonable way that that can be done, and I think that's what everyone wants to
1: find. Are that, they treated? Treat, are they treated differently in prison while they're pregnant?
2: Um, not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's that's also important to know. Not enough, right? And so. Um, again, it's just really that understanding that, you know, um, when a woman is pregnant anywhere in the world, and in any situation, it's difficult. I mean, (laughs) it's difficult for me sometimes, right? I mean, it's always, and even people have the best support, and the best everything, and when you're someone who, you know, is not able to see your friends and your family and your support system, and you're all alone, and you're probably under a lot of stress and pressure, um, it can be very difficult. And so really, again, just that request, like, let's not add to the stress. Let's not make things worse. Let's figure out ways that we can ease that burden and ease that pain because, good for her, she is bringing a new person into the world, and that is um, a really, you know, big accomplishment right then and there. Um, And so to just rehumanize the whole situation, you know, understanding – um, that from the side of the guards and the side of the the prison workers that this can can be a, you know overwhelming task, but then to also just say, but let's step back a minute and just rehumanize this whole situation. Can we do that
1: together? We're talking with Kathleen Domingo, who's the executive director of the California Catholic Conference that represents all the bishops of the state of California to the, to the legislature. Kathleen, in, in your talk to the Bishop Geigos, uh group, and you're right, what a wonderful gathering of, of good people. Um, it's just wonderful to see all those people there supporting this program. You mentioned just little things that people can do about self-worth, you know, in terms of sometimes just just smiling at somebody or saying good day or just minor little things that can change a person's mood even.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I really take my inspiration in that from Mother Teresa, she yeah. was the queen of that, right? She really just encouraged um, everyone to do small things with great love and that that adds up. And, um, and I think that's true. I think sometimes... We think, oh my gosh, I can't save the world. And so, you know, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to try. Um, it, it's true that, especially unhoused folks in our neighborhoods and, and on our streets, and, you know, we're in downtown Sacramento, so right outside our door all the time, um, it, it's a bad situation. It's not a great situation. They are not living in a way that is in keeping with their human dignity. Um, so many people, you know, are, are not living in, in keeping with their human dignity in this whole situation. And yet, Maybe I maybe I don't have a control over that for this moment. But what I do have control over is how I treat people. And so if I'm walking by um, and I see someone sitting on the sidewalk, it's it's never a bad idea to make eye contact mm-hmm. and to just say hello and smile and say how are you today. And you know their their response might not be great, but that's not what I'm con- in control of. I'm only in control of my response. Right. And I think sometimes that if we look at people with that understanding that. That God created that person, created that person for a reason, out of love, sustains that person in love. And even if that person looks unlovable or smells unlovable to us at that moment, they're not unlovable to God. And that's something really important for us to keep in mind. And it's a difficult thing because, you know, we might think we know that, um, and then we realize all day long we maybe didn't act the way that we should mm-hmm. have knowing that, right? So some things that sound very simplistic can actually be life-changing. and. Um, We would do some experiments, you know, in L.A. with that and just ask people, just try for a whole day, like, you know, put put a bracelet on or do something that reminds you that every time you look at that, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to be doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. and just try for a whole day, everyone you see, look at them as though they are an absolute gift from God that's been given to you at that moment and see what happens. And, you know, people, um, it was really fun. People would express, oh, my gosh. I, you know, like first of all, it was exhausting. <laughs> but second, secondly, like what a change in my whole attitude for the entire day. And so many people smiled back at me, and so many people, you know, just had like a their eyes lit up, and and you could tell that maybe that was the best interaction they have all day or all week. Um, but it's really helpful to us also, right? To to just re kind of realign ourselves with that reality. So um, you know, little things, and, and I. Not perfect at that at all. <laughs> I and mean, my own reminders too, but sometimes I think it's the littler things that can really um, help us have a change of heart and then open us to the prospect of doing some bigger things when those opportunities arise.
1: Yeah, amen. See, real quickly, um, and, and I don't know the, if, if the conference took a position on this at all, but the, uh, a, lot of, a lot of attention to the minimum wage for fast food workers bill. Um did, did the conference have a position on that?
2: We didn't have a position on that one this year. Um, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. situation, a really interesting case. There's a lot of labor going on this year. And so we kind of took the position of just watching how it was all unfolding. Um, definitely, this is not the end. There's a lot of labor issues that will be with us next year um, in the legislature, a lot of labor issues um, even on the ballot next year. So it'll be really interesting to see how it all prevails. It'll be interesting to see what the governor signs. There are some labor bills on his desk right now. Um, So we'll have to see. He's under a lot of pressure on both sides. Um, And I I think that, you know, that's a a good question for us. Um, Catholics like things when they're black and white, and this is a really gray question. um, Because it has a lot to do with, you know, how we value people, how we value those people that work, you know, jobs that, that we may think... Are easy jobs or entry-level jobs and what that means for all of us. It's also about how we value business and how we value families and all of those things. So um, I would just say, you know, look for um, more of these kinds of questions in the future. And this will be really interesting for California to see how, what, what direction we take on this.
1: Yeah. I, th- I thought it was a real interesting uh, in terms of, I know every state I believe has a minimum wage. And of course there's a federal minimum wage, but it, It with a few exceptions, to apply across the board to all workers. This is the first bill I've seen that specified a certain group. I kind of know it well because four of my kids, all college age, work minimum wage jobs. Uh But they are working for organizations that don't have 60 outlets. And two of them work at a very small, locally owned coffee place. You know, they're baristas. Uh And... Suddenly, the people down the street at Starbucks and Pete's and several others, they're going to be making 4 or $5 dollars an hour more than my kids are it, doing Correct. the exact same job. Correct. And I've never seen – I've never seen – and it, uh, the word is – And legislatively mandated. So
2: yeah, legislatively – yeah, it's because, not – yeah,
1: yeah. I understand. Yeah, a labor union Correct. can agree with workers to do what they want to, but this right. is from the legislature.
2: Yeah. yeah. So so you see <laughs> the questions <laughs> that we asked as well and why we decided on this one, you know, we were going to just kind of watch and see what unfolded. We definitely listened to both sides, and we have um, a lot of sympathy for both sides on these topics. In fact, there are multiple sides, not even two. I would say there, there are a myriad of sides on these topics, um, and what you've just brought up, I think, is also something really important to consider. So, yeah, it's not easy. Politics is not easy in California.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. You know, and the, the the other the flip side of that is... McDonald's workers, let's say they're, they're they'd be covered with the twenty dollars. Uh, they get no tips at all, zero. Mm-hmm. And right. my kids are in a, in an occupation where they do get tips, which probably when you add it to their they're around sixteen dollars an hour now because uh, they've been there a little while. When you add the tips in, they're probably above twenty dollars an hour. Uh-huh. But but
2: there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot going there. on. Yes, exactly. It's not. Um, it's not as cut and dry as people like to portray it in the news. So if you watch the news and you think, oh well, it should be easy, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. not easy. <laughs> and so we we use a lot of discernment, right? A lot of prudence, um, a lot of prayer, a lot of um, research, and really understanding, trying to really get to the the heart of the matter. What is really at stake with you know this bill and that bill? And it's it is difficult, yeah.
1: Well, Kathleen, I greatly uh, enjoy talking with you. I, our, wish, our listeners are always well served. Thanks for all the great work you do. And again, thanks for uh, uh, speaking at the Bishop Gagos. I think that, that made a real difference to a lot of people. Wonderful. Thank
2: you so much, Bob. It's great talking to you as always.
1: Thanks, Kathleen. That's uh, Kathleen Domingo, who's the Executive Director of the California Catholic Conference. Uh, and uh, just, a, just, boy, just a treasure here uh, representing the, the Catholic Church to the Legislature on behalf of, of the bishops in all the dioceses of California. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Back with more on a Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8, and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town. is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org.
2: This is Lori Power, Associate Superintendent with the Catholic School Department. You are listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning.
1: For that Wonderful introduction, Laurie, and thanks for all the great work you do for our wonderful Catholic schools here in the Diocese of Sacramento. We're pleased to welcome in Kevin Staskow, Deacon Kevin Staskow. Deacon, good day to you.
0: Good day to you, Bob. How are you?
1: Doing fine. You've uh, just come off uh, the wonderful on fire uh, in Vallejo at Six Flags, what the uh, 140th annual, (laughs) it seems like.
0: (laughs) No, just fourteen years. Fourteen, 14 years. Well,
1: it was. I all I had. I just added a zero there. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Wow. So how did how did that go?
0: It went excellently. We we um, we had about sixteen hundred this wow. year, um, and um, the event went off really smoothly. And that the, we made we set the record. For the first time, the math started on time at 9.45 (laughs) and ended on time at 11.
1: Very good. Well, you tweaked the whole thing a little bit, right? What? You tweaked the whole thing a little bit, right, the schedule? and
0: Well, we've been trying to tweak that schedule for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's just that the the performers and everybody never followed it. So for some reason this year, everybody followed it. So we've been trying to start the math at 9.45 for a while. But anyway, this year we actually did it, so it was good. And the other thing that was excellent is that the park—I mean—they had all of the roller coasters open. I think there were ten or twelve roller coasters open all at the same time. And that's not always normally, the case. Yeah, yeah. Normally, they have a lot of them. A lot of them are closed, and we're always asking, like, why aren't these roller coasters open? Well, they were all open this year, so that was that was really exciting for everybody. Um, and uh, we had three bishops. We had Bishop Soto, Bishop Mugelborg from uh, from Reno, Reno, and we also had. Um, what else do we have? We had, um, we had uh, geez, it's escaping my brain right now who we had. Oh, we had Bishop, uh, Bishop Miegelberg from Reno, and then we also had, oh, Bishop Cotta was there from, oh, Stockton. from Stockton. How could I forget Bishop Cotta? So anyway, so that was the first time he's been back since he's been Bishop of Stockton, so mm-hmm. it was great to have him back, and he was the main presider at our liturgy. Oh, very good. Yeah, I think I think Stockton sent. Um, I mean Reno sent five buses worth of kids. Wow. Uh, 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 Monterey sent three. Um, so that was great. And we, you know, like I said, we had sixteen hundred tickets sold, or six hundred people, including the Vocations Carnival and the volunteers and all that. So it was a really good, really good time. And we're looking forward next year to celebrate our Team Sonora. Right. Yes, our that's right. Year, of on fire. We're already talking about how we celebrate the Kincanier on fire quinceanera. So that's going to be our next thing.
1: Wow, and and you had a perfect day for it too. It was just perfect weather.
0: Yeah. Oh no, it was. It was just. It was just great. So we we're very excited about it. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that happened during the mass, which was a miracle, is that it didn't get hot. Usually, by the end of the mass at eleven o'clock, you're in the blazing sunshine. Right. Right. Uh, this year, we were lucky enough to um, to just uh, you know have really good weather, so it was great. It stayed it stayed overcast, uh, you know, and, and just very mild in the seventies for the entire mass, and uh, that went well too. So it was a you know it was just excellent year for on fire.
1: But that's that's what three three and a half hour ride from Reno. That's that's good good for those kids. That's great.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, uh, Reno's always really Supported the event and it's been very good. You know, it's been really great to see them, and they all wear, you know, they wear matching shirts. And there's a lot of them, and they're there every year, so that was great. That was
1: very nice. Did anybody uh, pet the stingrays?
0: <laughs> yes, uh, that's a that's a popular attraction there. How pet it is? Stingrays, and uh, yeah, so people do that every year, and yeah, so everything went. You know, like I said, I thought it was a really good event, and we're excited about. You know, starting to plan for next year. It's a good kickoff for youth ministry for the year. Um, you know, Sacramento always has the most there, and is very well represented out of the nine dioceses that come. So it was great to have our so many of our people there too.
1: So, w- such a popular event. How? What went into the first? And I mean, how did you, you approach it? How did you, you know, say, "Hey, Six Flags." Uh, uh, we know you're not a religious organization, but uh, how did how did that work?
0: Well, I think we, you know, there had been some talk of doing that at some point in the past, but I mean, I think really the really the start of On Fire was, you know, from the time I started in youth ministry in the '90s, there always been a talk of how are we going to, um, you know, shouldn't we have a big event for youth in uh, you know, how, shouldn't we have a big event for youth in Northern California because there's so many events in Southern California. They had Steubenville, San Diego, they have the LA Youth Day, they had a couple of other events down there, but we, you know, they also had Inspiration. Life team does Inspiration at Six Flags in Southern California. So people had asked for years, how can we not have anything in Northern California? So when I became a Diocese Director, that was one of the things that I was really open to. And so I, I, um, I had approached the amusement park, whether they're available, and they were open to the idea. And then um, I contacted Matt Marr, who was the biggest you know Catholic artist. He was winning he was having crossover hits on you know on on uh, secular radio and or, and on Christian radio. And he was also very popular in the Catholic community. and I, you know I approached him to see if he was available, and it so happened he was available. And he was going to be in the area, and he was touring with 10th Avenue North, which is a very popular Christian band. And so, um, you know, we just said, okay, let's, let's see if this will work. I approached the bishop. His two things were, one, I'd like this to be a regional event rather than just the Diocese of Sacramento, so we can try to draw from the whole area. And number two, I want something, part of the event should be to promote vocations. So um, we've always had a vocations carnival at the event, and we did it that first year, and we sold out first year. Um, uh, you know, we had to guarantee a thousand, and I think we sold. And back then, I think we sold thirty-two hundred tickets to see Matt Mara at that first event, ten thousand
1: wow. or North. Wow!
0: So it was it was sold out a week before. They called me and said, "Hey, we've sold all the tickets." And I said, "Oh, we'll, we'll just keep selling." So they kept selling, and we were kind of over full that first year. Yeah. So and that and we did really well the first three years, and then in I don't know if you remember. 2013,
1: it rained. It rained, yeah. <laughs> the,
0: whole, the whole morning, the whole mass, it poured down rain. And uh, that affected our numbers moving forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People were like, we're not going, it's going to rain. But it was really a freak rain. We had looked at, you know, like, I think it had only rained one other time on that date.
1: <laughs> in history, yeah. That's, <laughs> Remember that's, in the history
0: of Vallejo, right? That's just very early. 10,
1: for, very early for rain. It
0: was yeah. a 10% chance of rain. And uh, it, it, it just. You know, it just happened to rain where we were at.
1: T- turned out to be a hundred percent chance. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's what happened. So anyway, but anyway, so we've been we've been continuing with it, and again, it's always been a collaboration between the nine dioceses. We've always had at least three bishops. We've had as many as five um, of the ordinaries from the nine dioceses, and um, it's it's always really been a blessing. This and, year, the three bishops also like gathered for a dinner the night before and they stayed overnight at the hotel across from the park.
1: The oh, University how wonderful.
0: So it, was, it, was a, it was a nice event for the three bishops to spend some social time together. And sure. That was always kind of the idea. Bishop said, said, I wonder if the bishops would like to come in. Most times bishops are so busy they just go in and out the same day. But this year we had them come and do that. So that was, that was wonderful
1: oh that's great that's that's makes it very relaxed morning they're not having to get up and leave uh, at five in the morning or something to get there and et cetera. yeah i know no, it's really good oh that's great that's that's great so wow so do you already start planning next year
0: yeah oh absolutely we're starting to talk about it already we just secure i think we just secured the date i think it's going to be on the I think it's, say the, whatever that date is, the 14th or the 15th. It's the 15th, I think, of September next year. So we're, we're already starting to talk about you know, who do we want to have as a as talent and doing a little bit of evaluation with the other the directors to see how it was for them, et cetera.
1: How did the Vocations Carnival go?
0: Oh, great. We're great. I think we had eight booths this year, different orders, different religious orders. We also had... Couple of we had the diocese of Monterey and the diocese of Sacramento locations offices were both there, so it was good, it went very well.
1: Very good, well. That's, <laughs> I give you a lot of credit for that. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. I I was always intrigued by the all you can eat uh, lunch uh, in amusement parks. You could spend a lot of money on lunch.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's an all you can eat lunch, and it's 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 really popular. They, it even includes dessert and soda as much as you can eat or drink. So the kids really like that part of the event.
1: Yeah, that's a bargain. That's worth the price of admission. Mm -hmm. So uh, the month of October coming up, uh, the the life month, if you will, uh, a lot happening here in the Diocese of Sacramento.
0: Yes, there really is a lot happening. And starting with our 40 Days for Life, um, I don't know if you know, but um, uh, we have a we have an opening and uh, as a, for an associate director for Family and Respect Life. So in mm-hmm. the meantime, I'm serving as the uh, Forty Days for Life coordinator. <laughs> so, so I've been uh, learning a lot there.
1: Do you have a new hat? Course, I remember, yeah.
0: <laughs> a new hat, hopefully a temporary hat, because I have a lot on my plate. But um, we have the uh, Forty Days for Life uh, fall campaign kick off on September 27th. Right. And we have a, a mass at. Presentation Parish on the 27th. It's a Wednesday at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, Father Michael O'Reilly will be giving the homily and Father Bernadine, the pastor there, will be presiding at the Mass. Uh, Jason Solano uh, will be doing music and we'll be doing a special blessing of all uh, Sidewalk volunteers and coordinators at that Mass. Um, We also have a a, uh, today, actually, or I think We're going to have actually we're going to have a training for sidewalk counselors on Saturday, the 30th of September, Um, and that will be um, at 9 o'clock in the morning uh, via Zoom. So um, they can check out the 40 Days for Life website um, of the diocese. It's scd.org forward slash 40 Days for Life. Number 40 Days for Life, no spaces. and they can get the information on that online training,
1: and that's uh, very important training.
0: I think it's important that people realize, you know, the, the you know the, the correct way to to right. do this ministry. I mean, right. we're trying to pray um, for the discernment of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these women, um, you know, as they make a very important decision in their lives, in hopes that they won't have an abortion. They'll choose to keep choose to keep the baby. Um, but we're not protesting, right? We're not we're not getting political. We're not right. getting in people's faces. We're not yelling and screaming. Um, you know, we're there to pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit and to, you know, um, and and to and to talk to the women about about this important decision in their lives and try to help them make the right decision. You know? Right. And, and I and I think um, uh, it's important that we're trained and we kind of understand because there's other groups. You know, it's, it, it, the 40 days for life is a non-denominational right. um, you know activity and there's other groups that have different agendas and that's not our Catholic agenda our Catholic agenda is to support the women to listen to them to help them discern and, and mostly just to pray uh, you know that the Holy Spirit will you know will intercede help them make uh, the right decision
1: I remember coming one time uh, with uh, my four young children they were quite young at the time and they gave them all a rosary um, <laughs> it was a, it was really a beautiful moment for them, you know, and uh, they, I mean, they were old enough to know what they were doing and, and uh, um, maybe they didn't know all the, the ramifications of abortion and, and the, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to bring abortion up to a young child, but it's something they, it's so, it's so contrary to, to their nature and uh, they they can't imagine why somebody would do that. And, and, and without going into the details, you know, but it was just, they they knew we were there to pray for these people. Uh-huh. And it was it was a very good experience for them and for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think it is a very, you know, it's a good, uh, you know, my experiences of, of praying on the sidewalk have been, you know, very, you know, kind of eye-opening and, you know, it's, it's, it's the community of praying with others and it's also, uh, you know, the, you know, In many cases, you know, we've we've saved lives by people making different decisions based on just our presence there, right? So I think it's really important. So that's what, um, uh, again, encourage people who are interested in volunteering who haven't done it before. You could just go on the website, scd.org forward slash 40 Days for Life, and you can click through to sign up for a time to come and pray. Um, we, as I said, we're doing a training on the 30th via Zoom at 9 o'clock in the morning, um, and the link is also on that same website, so they can uh, be part of they could be part of that training, so they know what to expect. Um, but if they're not available for the training, they can still come and participate. And there's people there, you know, who will who will guide them and help them, get, hand them a rosary, like you said. <laughs> yeah, you know, so if you can pray, you can. Participate in Forty Days for Life. The idea is we're trying to get people um, on the sidewalk for all the hours that uh, that, that uh, um, Planned Parenthood is open, and it's open from uh, like a, I think it's from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night every day, and so we're trying to uh, get coverage. But if you go on the if you go on the website, you can sign up for times that work for you.
1: And it's not just in Sacramento. Uh, there yeah, are so there's
0: several locations mm-hmm. in our diocese. Chico and Redding. I think there's also one in Vallejo, and I don't know what the other one is. But like as I said, they're all on the website. And there's also a flyer there you can download to share with your friends if you want to invite them to come and serve with you as well.
1: Yeah, and, and it's it, like I say, it's all, all on the website and contact information for people, et, et cetera. It, it all started in uh, Bryan, Texas, uh, you know, uh, home of Texas A&M uh, College Station. And just a handful of people who were sitting around a table one night trying to think, what can we do about this? A huge college presence there, and uh, what can we do about this? And it grew and grew and grew and grew into being a, a worldwide movement now that has saved many, many lives and transformed many lives. Yeah, and I think
0: it's moving from just being 40 days once a year. I mean, we do two 40-day 40 40 right. campaigns in Sacramento but it's moved from being that 40 days once a year to in in many places being 365 days right. a year right
1: that's right, right? So, that's right
0: and we're looking to try to move our you know our efforts in that direction as well with the help of the parishes
1: i know we interviewed somebody from uh, green bay uh, a couple of times and they were doing 24 hours a day yeah uh, in green bay in the winter wow yeah Crazy. That's, a lot, that's 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 dedication right and a lot of a lot of t- those night shifts were being filled by knights of columbus oh wow really wow yeah pretty 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 impressive but it's it has it has borne great fruit and uh um it's you know it continu- it continues to grow and uh, it's just a and and uh, you know october we we and and we as you pointed out we do it again during lent um uh as as well, starting on Ash Wednesday and running, I think through Good Friday, or certainly at some point during Holy Week, is when it, the forty days conclude. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been been a remarkable ministry, if you will. Even though, as you say, it is it is non-denominational, and uh, although it. it many many catholics probably more catholics there than than other denominations but but be that as it may everybody certainly is welcome to be there and i also think that um
0: i also think that it's a great opportunity you know it is a good opportunity for families to get involved too i think the whole, like you said you brought your kids i mean the whole family can be involved and um you know it's a way to give um people an experience of the power of prayer right the power of reliance on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I think so often we, you know, in our modern culture, we, you know, we say we pray, we'll pray for you, but we don't really believe it's going to do anything, right? Here's an, here's an instance where this, this movement is, you know, the prayer and the presence of people on the sidewalk has really changed people's minds, and I think, um, you know, we can continue to do that in a merciful, passionate, loving way, compassionate, loving way, um, by praying for people and praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. I... I I uh, sometimes that's what's wrong with our ministerial efforts is we're so practical about you know like we couldn't do that we don't have the money we don't have this whatever we don't rely enough on the Holy Spirit so I think this is a ministry that we can do that we can pray and rely on the Holy Spirit and trust in the power of prayer and um, you know the saving power of Christ and uh, I think that uh, you know it's a it's a great opportunity so people should look you know look at it and try it I mean I you know everybody doesn't like to do it, but I think it's a good you know I, I do think it's a it's a good thing, good way to get prisoners involved in you know acting on their faith.
1: Yeah indeed and, and in that vein, I uh, should remind everybody that the Sacramento Life Center, their annual dinner, which is their major fundraiser, uh, will will be on Saturday evening the, the 11th of November this year. Usually it's the first Saturday of November this this year it will be Saturday the 11th, the second Saturday. Of November, and uh, you can uh, Google the Life Center and uh, go go there and sign up. They're, they're also looking for any kind of raffle prizes, things like that. See, and nothing's too small because they can put them all in baskets and combine gifts too. So if you have something you'd like to donate to a raffle or maybe a big prize for uh, if you're a business out there, uh, they they would like they would love to hear from you. And Last year they were sold out. They I mean they they uh, six, seven hundred people, something like that, which is, they, they may have to move it to Golden One some year. <laughs> but, but a, can you imagine is, that? Wow. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, can, can, imagine. Can, can you imagine? Well, Deacon, always always a joy to talk with you. Thanks for uh, putting on that new hat, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure it will bear great fruit. So God, oh, God, well, thank God bless you. So much, ministry. Thank, yeah. you. thank you. God bless you too. Thank you for the time. Very good. Thanks, Deacon. That's uh, Deacon Kevin Stasco, who is now in charge of the uh, uh, m- uh, pro-life ministry here in the diocese. Temp- you know, in sort of an interim basis, if if you will. Um, you know, we got, we received this this wonderful book, "Wisdom of the Saints," and I, I'd like to share a couple of these every every day when when we can. Uh, it's a it's three hundred sixty-five days of inspiration. It's from DynamicCatholic. dot com, and it just it goes through. All the days of the year. Next, I don't know if it's got 366 because next next year is a leap year. We'll have to have to let's see. I got just see if they have a, uh, uh, a February 29 in here. Let me let me get to February uh, February 27. Oh, they do, they do have February 29. So they've covered leap year, and that is Sister Mary McKillop says, find happiness in making others happy. Perfectly said. Uh, going back to our first guest in this hour, Kathleen Domingo, who talked about that. You know, if you're walking among people, you maybe you're walking among the homeless. Uh, make eye contact, smile, say say hello, say how are you doing today. Um, you know, engage in conversation. Uh, you you'd be surprised how much that can help other people. So we'll give you uh, the the last few days of uh, the mid mid uh, to uh, late September. As well, uh, St. Vincent de Paul, September 22. I have never succeeded when I have spoken with the faintest suspicion of hardness. One must be ever on one's guard not to embitter the heart if one wishes to move the mind. September 23rd, St. Louis de Montfort. Don't wince under the hammer that strikes you. Have an eye to the chisel that cuts you into the hand that shapes you. The skillful and loving architect, with a capital A, May wish to make of you the chief stones of his eternal edifice and the fairest statues in his kingdom, then let him do it. He loves you. He knows what he is doing. He has had experience. All his blows are skillful and straight and loving. He never misses unless you cause him to by your impatience. And then uh, uh, Sebastian Valfrey, never say to God enough, simply say, I am ready. St. Maximilian Kolbe, one of my favorite saints, September 25th, the most deadly poison of our times is indifference. And this happens, although the praise of God should know no limits. Let us strive, therefore, to praise him to the greatest extent of our powers. And finally, September 26th, St. Cyprian of Carthage, our prayers become effective through almsgiving. Life is redeemed from danger by almsgiving. Souls are delivered from death by almsgiving. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll talk with you again soon. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, And what a wonderful treasure... Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights give them a call 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley and Associates a private wealth advisory practice of America Pro- Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement Crumley and Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley and Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916 638 4600. That's 916 638 4600. And we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates.
0: To the cross I look And to the
1: cross I cling Of its suffering I do its worth.